If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. A Woman's Honor, a dark historical romance novel by Andrea Stewart. Chapter 3 Wake up my lady, a young voice said. You must wake up. Eleanor managed to open her eyes. A child sat beside her, mopping her brow with a damp cloth. Seven? Maybe eight? She had bright red hair and was dressed in worn clothes. Eleanor looked around her tower room, saw hangings over the windows, a bed, bedding, everything the Duke had promised. How had he gotten it all up here without waking her up? Please take some broth, my lady. The child held a spoon to her lips. And please don't die. Eleanor wanted to laugh at the child's desperate tone. Instead she opened her mouth and took the broth, swallowing slowly. Then she took another, and another, and another until the cup was empty and the child stood. The relief was evident on the young girl's face. Thank you my lady. I was very worried. I think your lord would prefer it if I died. The child looked shocked. No, my lady, no. No one wants that. Eleanor found herself weeping. It was agony to hear a kind word in this terrible place and once the tears started they wouldn't stop. She turned her head away from the child to try and hide them. The little girl backed away. I'm sorry, my lady, I'm so sorry. Then the girl darted to the ladder and went down it so quickly that Eleanor couldn't say a word. Mary ran through the great hall to where the duke sat before the fire. She stepped over his great dogs, and put her hand on his arm. She must have startled him, because he jumped a little. I said I was sorry. I don't know what I did. She put her hands over her face and began to weep as well. I never meant to hurt her. What on earth is wrong, child? The Duke gently pulled her hands down. I don't know why she's crying. How did I hurt her? Did I make her ill? Alan started to rise and James followed the motion. Alan said. More like she has another trick up her sleeve. The Duke pulled Mary closer. She looked more and more like Alan's wife as she grew. It was hard to think of her as the only one of their children to survive. Can you tell me exactly what happened? I was shaking her, trying to make her wake up. I waited ever so long, but she didn't. And so I shook her. Then she ate all the broth. Then she started crying. I don't know why. No food or water for five days will tire belly and knots, said Alan. The Duke hushed him with a glance. Are you sure that's all that happened Mary? Think hard. I told her not to die. Said Mary, puzzling it out. And she said maybe you wanted her dead. She paused and looked confused. Then she met the Duke's gaze, clearly dismayed. Why did she say that? You are trying to help her. Don't we all want to help her? Then what happened next? The Duke asked, ignoring her question. I said no one wanted her to die and that is when she started crying. Why is she so very sad? The Duke brushed Mary's hair away from her shining eyes. Many people in her family have died, and she misses them a great deal. 
I'm hoping you can help her feel better by being kind to her. I will do my best, said Mary earnestly. I know many people who have died too. Yes, we all do, said the Duke, thinking of his son. Now run back to her with water from the spring. Help her drink some. She needs both food and water to heal. I hope tomorrow she may be a little better. Mary slipped away from the Duke and raced out of the hall. If that creature weren't weak as a kitten, I'd have Mary away from her. I will not have her caught up in that woman's schemes, said Alan. The Duke ran a finger across his lips. Perhaps his prisoner wife was clever and cruel, a creature that could toy with a child's heart. Perhaps she was mad, prone to tears and rages every hour of the day. Maybe she was something else. Leave Mary be for a while yet. The girl has done nothing more than weep and try to kill herself. She's offered no violence to anyone else at all. The Duke said. That wasn't strictly true since she had seized his blade the night of her capture. But she had held the weapon as if it were an alien thing, a stricken expression on her face. She had made no attempt to strike at him even as he took it away. It is hard to imagine that she is afraid of dying. Did not she seem to desire it? Said James. She seemed quite willing a few days past. Alan agreed. She did, didn't she? Said the Duke. Alan, tell Beth to keep Mary in what she's wearing, and not to bathe her overmuch. Whatever for, my lord. You know she will need an explanation. Beth Cardles Mary. Say it is a favor to me. Said the Duke firmly. By afternoon of the following day, Eleanor was sitting upright and could carry broth in a spoon to her own mouth. The little girl, Mary, seemed entirely too eager to fetch anything she asked for, and had even brought up three kittens that were now wandering across the bed. Eleanor couldn't find the heart to make the girl keep her distance, or to chastise her for being less than the perfect maid. She was dressed in old, often mended clothes, and she seemed completely unaware of the dirt on her face. She was so poor. Is there else I can get you, my lady? Asked Mary for the third time in the last few minutes. No, Mary. I have everything I need. Said Eleanor, wishing it were true. She gently moved the cat Mary had named Smoke onto the floor. Do you have any brothers or sisters to play with? Mary's face lost its smile in an instant. It was like a candle going out. They all died, my lady. A year ago, when we came here, there was a pox. I am the last one left. Elena determined not to let the child affect her, said. So, you must have friends with whom you play. Mary smiled. Oh yes. Shall I bring them? She stood up, as if ready to go down the ladder to fetch children instead of kittens. Eleanor laughed despite herself. No, Lady Mary. I want you to go play with your friends while I take a nap. Mary, blushed, then turned away. She was smiling and her eyes were bright. I am not a lady. Perhaps you are to me. Come back tonight. You can share my bed. I don't take up much space. The child looked with wide eyes at the big bed with its snow-white sheets. I will ask my mother. Eleanor regretted the offer almost as soon as she made it. But keeping the child out of the stable, or the sooty fireplace, or wherever she slept was just a little kindness. You couldn't wage war on children, could you? Then a new wave of tears threatened to overtake her again. She remembered the children's bodies she had found in the spring. Two of them, along with their mother, lying on the road. They had been cut down as they fled, victims of this terrible war. While she couldn't harm children, 
others found it easy. Two days later Eleanor was able to move about the room and was eating solid food. Rising at dawn, she stripped her bed and dropped all the bedclothes and ticking through the hole in the floor. She told Mary to tell the guards to have it washed, and to ask the kitchen to bring her a tub big enough to get in, and enough hot water for a bath. The only basin big enough for you is my lord's copper bath. The rest of us bathe in the spring. Tell them to bring my lord's bath and enough water to fill it to the brim. To the brim? With hot water. The very hottest they can make. And tell them I want soap. Mary looked at Eleanor as if she couldn't believe her ears. We are covered in vermin and I mean to remedy that. By late afternoon Eleanor had scrubbed Mary until her skin was red. Then she had sent her away in a cut-up sheet she had sewn into a simple dress by hand. Eleanor ordered more hot water and sank neck deep in the copper-colored tub. Eventually she sat, eyes closed, head soapy, entirely at rest for the first time in months. How long had it been since she'd felt this human? It was only as the water began to cool that she admitted to herself she had to get out. She was just rising from the water when she heard someone speak from the ladder behind her. Today I think Alan and James might have you, said the Duke. You look well. You mean when I am not covered in my brother's blood and have not bathed for a fortnight because there wasn't even enough water to drink? She made no attempt to cover herself, though she was very uncomfortable with his regard. She refused to have him see her as a maid, as a girl. She was his enemy and nothing more. She gave not a fig for his regard. Did not care what he thought of her. She cared nothing about him at all. Yes, when you are not covered in blood and you have had a bath, you look lovely. The Duke completed his climb. Shall I invite James and Alan to come up so you can make your usual offer? As you wish. She replied, feeling the blood rise to her face. The Duke shrugged, then called down. You may come up. A moment later Alan and James were in the room. Well my friends, will you have her today? No. She reminds me of that Turkish wench. Remember the one who tried to kill me? Said James. He regarded Eleanor as he might a brightly colored snake. Nor me. My wife would poison the lot of us if I strayed. Said Alan, looking at the floor. Unable to bear the embarrassment any longer, Eleanor pulled on the simple gown Mary had brought her. It was at least twice as big around as she required and it only fell to her knees. Maybe next time I will suit you better. She managed to say. It took a lot of effort not to lower her eyes. There was a long pause that Eleanor didn't try to fill. The Duke finally took it upon himself to break the silence. Your mother wrote a letter asking after you. I thought you would want to reply. He held out the folded parchment, its red seal already fragmented. You read it? Of course. And I will read your answer as well. So you can stop me from raising an army in a letter to my grieving mother? The Duke's face grew hard for a moment. Then his eyes took in her bare feet and worn gown. His expression softened. So I know if I should prepare my army to fight yet again. I dare say I will send whatever you write without change, because you know what will happen if you say the wrong thing. Eleanor looked from him to the letter and back. Take it away. She said. My parents died to me the day they gave me to you. The Duke was silent. Then he opened the letter and read it aloud. My darling daughter. We have heard such distressing news of you, that you are ill or dying. We pray that it is not true. Your father has stopped making confession or taking the sacrament. Your duke has sent us some of what we need in your name, for which we thank you. 
He has sent food to several villages and I am sure you arranged it. Why would you feed my people? You slaughter them one day and feed them the next? What sense is there in that? You have no people, my lady. The people I sent food to belong to me, to my lands. They are mine through conquest and the vows you made me. You must come to understand this is so. Because you say a thing does not make it true. Why did he speak to her as if she were a fool? Everything your family owned is now mine. You own nothing except a grieving mother and a father who has abandoned God. Eleanor soldiered on though she knew it was unwise. Since childhood she had never been able to lose a battle of wits. What was so was so. What was not was not. So she asked. Why did you deign to marry me, my lord? She answered her own question before he could speak. Because the people themselves decide who to support, who to fight for, and who to die for. You burned their crops, you murdered my brother, you sacked our castle. Marrying me was the only way to stop the battle from raging through the winter. A battle I would have won. And what use is a blighted and war-torn land with no one left to farm or defend it? The duke made no reply. You think the battle is over and you have won all. But one day soon you will see that all you think you have won is lost. You will wish you had never been born. The duke had her by the arms in an instant and he shook her hard. He thrust her onto the wooden bed and towered over her. I spared your life and the lives of your worthless parents when I could have killed you. I let them remain in their keep rather than die in a dungeon. And you wish to make war on me? It would have been a mercy to kill us all. See me in my misery, trapped in the land of my enemies, soon to be sold into the slavery of a convent. See my father refusing confession and the sacrament because my brother died with all his sins and he longs to join him in hell. Pity my mother, the broken woman who had four sons and a daughter and lost them all to disease and war. She said sitting up. How many have you killed with your stupid war? Do you even know the number? Do you think you bought anyone's loyalty with your slaughter? My war? The duke looked as if he could not believe his ears. We lived in peace before you came. You and your army know only war. Know only murder. Not a moment's peace have I had, has anyone had, since you came to these lands. Your own people should rise against you and throw you down. All you do brings misery and death. Have a care. Said Alan. Calling for us to fight our liege lord is treason against the king himself. The duke, mastering his rage with great effort, threw her letter down. Write your mother. Tell her you are well fed and well treated. Tell her you will see her near midwinter. These things are no more than the truth. Alan asked. What shall we do about the messenger they sent, my lord? The duke looked furious. Your mother's messenger awaits your reply. He was tasked to see you before he left. Pen your letter now and he will be brought to you so you can put it in his hands unread. Will you not read it first my lord? Lest I raise my army? Eleanor asked in mock surprise. I am sick to the death of the sight of you. Write what you will. Weak as we are, my army can lay waste to everyone and everything you love. I am all but past caring who lives or dies. A moment later, Eleanor was alone, her mother's letter left open on the floor. Mary returned, breathless and rosy-cheeked, while Eleanor was writing her response. Two drafts lay on the floor, one full of apologies, the other covered with ill-considered plans. Now she confronted a blank page. Are you hungry, my lady? Shall I bring you food? Mary stooped to pick up one of the two fallen pages, opened it to see the characters scrawled across it. What are you doing? Eleanor, seeing that she had the page with the bones of a hopeless military plot scrawled upon it, took it away from her gently. 
My mother wrote to me, and I am writing back. You can write? The child was clearly incredulous. Yes. My father taught me. It was hard to say the words. The hours she had spent with her father first learning to fashion letters and then poring over books, had been the happiest days of her life. Three of her brothers had been alive then, but she had been by far the brightest of his students. Perhaps because she didn't spend hours in the tilt yard getting knocked off her horse. That was bound to make a boy stupid. But you were a woman. I never knew a woman could write. Eleanor turned to regard the child with a wrinkled brow. Why should we not write? Do we not have fingers to hold a pen? But how do you learn? Mary crept forward to stare at the paper and the inkwell. It's an easy thing. Said Eleanor. It's something anyone might learn? I am very clever. At least my mother says so. Will you teach me? Mary looked up with longing eyes. Eleanor was silent. Her affection for this child could become a problem. On the other hand, what harm could come from a few afternoons spent spilling ink on paper? Perhaps I will teach you how to write your name. I want to learn everything. Said Mary, having picked up the other page. Her eyes were as big as twin moons and her smile as wide as the sky when she handed it back. Eleanor pulled the child into her arms and planted a kiss on her brow. Now my Lady Mary you must run along. I have a letter to write. Mary slipped away as Eleanor turned back to the task at hand. She wrote. Dearest Mother. I am well fed and well cared for. The Duke and I shall visit by midwinter. Tell Father I love him as I love you. Tell him all will be well. Eleanor. An hour later she heard someone on the ladder and looked over to find Alan emerging from the floor. Behind him followed the messenger. She was shocked to see it was not one of the men of her own estate, but a junior page belonging to Lord Armstrong. His lands bordered both her own and the Duke's to the north. Lord Armstrong had been the first to warn her father of the King's grant to the Duke who had won so many battles in the Holy Lands. He had been given an estate which had come to the crown upon the execution of the previous tenant more than two generations ago. The messenger said. My lady, I was sent to see that you are well. Rumors abound of your mistreatment and the strange affairs of this keep. Eleanor rubbed her forehead, buying time while she thought of a response. Why had Lord Armstrong sent a man to her if not to offer aid? I am unharmed. And are you happy here? I am well fed and well treated. And you are a true wife to the Duke? Does he share your bed? The messenger seemed determined to have an answer to his shocking question. Alan, standing behind the messenger, replied before Eleanor could speak. He fixed his eyes hard upon her as he answered on her behalf. Tell her mother and father that all is as it should be. I must hear it from her. Eleanor pondered for a moment. Finally, she replied. Tell your master that all is exactly as he and I would have it. She didn't have to feign her discomfort. She had met Lord Armstrong, many years her senior, only twice. Neither encounter had gone very well. I shall share your words, my lady. The page took the letter she held out to him then descended the ladder without another word. Alan stayed behind. You spoke strangely to him. What would you have had me say? The Duke beds me every night? I'll have a child in me come spring? What lady would answer such a question more boldly than I have done? And how would that serve your master's purpose? He intends to set me aside. Your words were as they should be, but there was something wrong. Tell to your master what I said. He may think of it what he will. I care not. I am a prisoner here and he has dishonored me. I said what he ordered me to say only to protect those I love. 
Eleanor turned her back to him and stuffed the stopper back in the ink pot. When she looked again, Alan had gone down the ladder as well. Between the Duke's estates and her own lands ran long strips of fertile ground on either side of the river. Since Annie could remember, her family had taken the rents from these crofters and provided support to those who lived there as well. When Lord Armstrong and his men had ridden to her father's keep to tell of the Duke's arrival, he had warned that the Duke would demand whatever he thought belonged to him. Armstrong told her father that the Duke was well known as a brutal warrior, and what he desired he would have. It was then that Armstrong asked for Eleanor's hand. He was thrice or more Eleanor's agent had never been counted as a friend before. So, with her father and brother consenting, Eleanor declined his request to marry. The Duke, once firmly ensconced in his keep, had shortly thereafter approached her father and brother. He too had proposed marrying Eleanor. He had said he wished to build a strong union between their estates. In that time he had mentioned his ownership of the riverside lands and his understanding that for many decades Eleanor and her family have given them their support and taken their rents. He had offered to accept the disputed lands as adequate dowry. Upon being rebuffed, he had asserted his full ownership of the properties and his intent to take over the lands. Her father, a man of letters, had merely asked for his proof that the properties he claimed had been deeded to him by the crown. Two days after their meeting with the Duke, word came that the villages on both sides of the river had been burned to the ground. Their inhabitants were thrown into hiding. The fields had been torched and seed houses destroyed. The Duke had thus made it clear that he would have the disputed lands or they would lie fallow. Eleanor and her brother had planned the first counter-attack. Their raid on a village within the Duke's borders had left everyone alive but many structures burning. It had been a measured response. The Duke's men shortly thereafter, attacked a northern village at night. Eleanor could still remember the charred bodies of men, women, and children dead in the shells of their burned-out homes. Then, once again, Lord Armstrong had come to demand Eleanor's hand in return for joining the fray. Upon being declined he had ridden away cursing, swearing to remain on his lands and to watch Eleanor and her family destroyed. The many months of war had left both estates with too many homeless to quarter and almost no ripe fields to harvest. At last the Duke had arrived at her keep to lay waste, murdering her brother and leaving Eleanor the only heir to her father's estate. He had demanded her hand in return for ending his campaign and leaving her parents alive. Today, Eleanor understood, Lord Armstrong had made another overture. He had asked if she were wedded and bedded. She had indicated she was not. Since the Duke meant to set the union aside and marry, might not she do the same? Could she not marry Armstrong instead of the Duke? But how could that come to pass? If Lord Armstrong attacked the Duke's keep, it would be a simple matter for the Duke to rape Eleanor, thus consummating the union. She would be the Duke's wife indeed then, and all she owned would truly belong to him. He would not be able to set her aside and she could marry no one else. If Lord Armstrong meant to forestall this eventuality, he would have to hope she kept her virtue until he could somehow arrange her rescue. Eleanor shook her head. Lord Armstrong was well known for being shrewd. He liked well-laid plans and careful execution. He was a man of schemes and tricks, not a man of action. She could not imagine that he would make a move before the spring, by which time the Duke would have secured his position through force of arms, and she would have committed herself to a nunnery, a vow she could not break. A movement on the ladder made her look up, and she saw James step onto her floor holding one end of a rope. While she watched he pulled up a basketful of fresh bedding and a new feather mattress. This was not what she had sent to the laundry, 
but newer, much finer things. My lord says it will be several days before your bedding is dry. He bids you use these until then. Without another word, he was gone, taking the rope and basket with him. Eleanor sat on the wooden bed frame and contemplated the room. A copper bath, new bedclothes, a new mattress, pen and paper. The prison she had been sentenced to was looking more and more like home. She wondered how long she would have it. A Woman's Honor by Andrea Stewart. Voice recording copyright 2019 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music by Pavel Kanzenkoff licensed from Pond 5. For more daring love stories, please visit dark-romance.com.